We thank you for visiting Christian Bible Temple and pray the following message speaks to your heart. Let's come forward. Are we allergic to the front of the church? Seems like a lot of Christians are like, have, I must have leprosy. They're allergic to the pastor. Come forward. Especially with so few today. So, so many people are out sick with the allergies. They're flying all over the place. My car was green yesterday. Today it returned to its normal color because of the rain. Let's open our Bibles this morning to the book of Genesis, chapter 3. Perhaps the most tragic chapter in all of the Bible. The origins of our problems. Genesis, chapter 3, verses 6 and 7. So when the woman saw that the tree was good for food, that it was pleasant to the eyes, and a tree desirable to make one wise, she took of its fruit and ate. She also gave to her husband with her, and he ate. Then the eyes of both of them were opened, and they knew that they were naked. And they sewed fig leaves together and made themselves coverings. At first sight, we might think this sounds like some kind of a fable, a myth, and certainly unbelievers think so. But what people think doesn't matter. Is what God says that matters. It is interesting that I was reading yesterday, in my day, yesterday day before yesterday, in my utmost for His highest by Oswald Chambers. How many of you have read that? It's a devotional. You read one a day. If you haven't, I suggest strongly you get yourself a copy of that wonderful book. This is a man who died at the age of 42. But it, he sounds as though he had, he was 150 years old. He was an old soul, probably. Tremendously wise. And one of the things he said, I wish I had brought the, the uh, copy with me. He said, we become stupid when we give our opinions. Boy, that slaps us in the face, doesn't it? Because so many people say, I think, don't think, trust. Don't think, obey. Don't think, believe. God doesn't need our opinions. He doesn't need my opinion, and he doesn't need your opinion. He needs us to obey him. He knows better. After all, it's his opinion that counts. Very similar to what I quoted not too long ago from Socrates, the great... Greek philosopher. He said, wise people learn from everything and everyone. Average people learn from their own experiences and idiots have all the answers. That's why he also said, all I know is that I don't know anything. And we don't know much, do we? The more we learn, I find out that the more I learn, the less I know. Now, should that discourage me? Absolutely not. Because I realize how immense God's wisdom is. And one day we shall know more than we know today. Because we will be glorified. We see the step taken here by man that led to his fall and spiritual separation 
which by the way, that's what, what death is. Death is separation. And the first death that came in was a spiritual separation. God created man to live forever. But when sin entered, that's when death came in because he became separated from God. Not because he ate the fruit, but because he disobeyed. He became, this is spiritual separation from God. And God had created him perfect because it says the Bible that he's, God looked and he saw all that he had created and it was very good. He placed him in a perfect environment. People want to change the environment. You want to make it better? It doesn't matter. It's not the outside that they need to change. It's the inside. But as a free being with the moral ability to love God or reject God, he had the choice. There was no reason why he should sin. But he could sin if he so desired. Why? Because God created him as a free agent. See, God did not create us, create us as puppets that he can manipulate and handle. We manipulate, but God doesn't. And because we manipulate, we think God does the same thing. You know what? El ladrón juzga por su condición. That translated means that the thief judges according to his experience. Just because we manipulate, we think he manipulates. God doesn't manipulate. And then, then goes to, we go to the other extreme. How come God doesn't do anything? Well, he has. He created everything. And he died for everybody. And he wrote his word. What else do you want him to say? Why doesn't God speak? He has. I was talking to my uh, niece's husband yesterday. He says, you know what? He's discovering the beautiful truths of the word of the word of God. What's going on with this thing? Twice today. Say what? I hate these things. Anyway, he discovered, he says to me, did you know? That Psalm 118, verse 8, is the very center of the Bible? I said, yeah. There's the same amount of verses before, and there's the same amount of verses afterwards. I mean, verses and chapters, of course. 598, I think he said, before, 598 later. And 118, verse 8, is the very center of the Bible. And he was like, wow. I said, yes. And you know what I discovered by myself the other day? I discovered that the, what is the first letter of the first chapter, of the first verse of the first book in the Bible, in Hebrew? I got you there. The first letter in Genesis 1-1 is the letter B. And I say, what's so great about that? Well, it, the Hebrew alphabet begins with Aleph. And Aleph is mute. It's like our H or H in Spanish, you know, that totally mute. In English, it is not totally mute, but in Spanish, it is. And in Hebrew, also, there is no, the Aleph has no sound. The first letter with sound is Be, the second letter. And that is the first letter of the Bible. I say, how does that have to do with anything? Interesting that the, 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 the narrative of the Bible begins with the first letter with a sound. Maybe it doesn't mean anything to you, but it means a lot to me. Because when you speak, what do you use? Silent letters or letters with sound? So when God speaks to us, he began with the first letter with sound. Be, in the beginning. 
Even that detail is an amazing thing. There was no reason why man should have sinned. But he could sin if he saw desire. And then he did not have, though, a sinful nature. Adam and Eve did not have a sinful nature as we do now. So he was totally able to resist Satan's external pressure to sin. No such thing as the devil made me do it and I fell into the temptation. No, he could have resisted Satan because he was created perfect. But tragically, he did sin and brought sin and death into the world. He sinned because he chose to sin. The woman saw that the tree appealed to the three spheres of man. Notice what it says there. It was good for food. That's physical. What does that that relate to? The lust of the flesh. It was pleasant to the eyes, emotions, the desire of the eyes, or lust of the eyes. And it was desirable to make one wise, mental and spiritual insight, the pride of life. And isn't that what John tells us in the first epistle, chapter 2, verses 15 through 17, says, Love not the world, and neither the things that are in the world, for all that is in the world, the lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, and the pride of life are not of the Father, but they are of the world, and the world passes and its lusts. But he who does the will of God abides forever. The more we contemplate temptation, now let me say, probably you have experienced this, I'm sure, because if you're not perfect, I'm sure you experience this. The more we contemplate temptation, the more appealing it becomes. Why? Because the devil keeps on lying. And the more you see something, or you feel something, or you you know, are aware of something, and the more you think about it, the more uh, appealing it becomes. And this is true of every type of temptation. Now, let me tell you, the devil knows your weak points, and he's going to tempt you on your weak points. He's not going to tempt you on my weak points, because what is weak for you, it's not for me, probably. Maybe you like chocolate, and somebody else likes vanilla. Well, he's going to tempt you with chocolate, and the person who likes vanilla is going to tempt him with vanilla. He knows your weak point. And that's why the Apostle Paul says, when I am weak, <clears throat> then am I strong. Why? Because God's strength is perfected in my weakness. Here we see that these are the three avenues Satan uses to attack man. I just quoted them to you from 1 John 2, 15 through 17. And where do you think John, the apostle, got those principles? Of course, he was inspired by the Holy Spirit, but the illustration, he got it from Genesis chapter 3. Those are the three avenues, the pride, the, the lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, and the pride of life. Lust of the flesh is what it satisfies you. The lust of the eyes is the things that you covet. And the pride of life is you can make it, you think you can make it on your own. Self-reliance, which is pride. Okay? And we see how all uh, these three were contaminated in the first couple God created. We all have these fears contaminated as well and need regeneration or we need the new birth. In Romans 5.12, the Apostle Paul is careful to tell us, as so as by one man, Adam, sin came into the world and death through sin. And so death passed upon all men for that all have sinned. In 1 Corinthians 15, 22, it says, As in Adam all die, so in Christ shall all be made alive. All have sinned. 
Therefore, death passed upon all men. All are affected, and thus all need to be saved. So, so it, this thing continues today. It's the same today. Nothing has changed. The lust of the flesh. What's the lust of the flesh? Immorality. Immorality. And it's one of the works of the flesh. When in the Apostle Paul, again in Galatians, enumerates the sins of the flesh, one of the things that he uses, that he, the, 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 he points out to, is immorality. Adultery, fornication, okay? Any kind of sexual sin. Immorality. What does David say when he prays to God after he sinned with Bathsheba? In sin, my mother conceived me. And some people think, oh, that's the sexual act. The sexual act, that's not the sexual act. In sin, my mother conceived me means that he inherited the sinful nature from his parents. And then in the, the book of Romans, chapter 6, and in verse 6, we're told, knowing this, that our old man was crucified with him. That's the old nature. That the body of sin might be done away with. That we should no longer be slaves of sin. So when the Lord Jesus Christ said, you shall know the truth and the truth shall set you free. It's not freedom from things. It's freedom from sin. Do you know, even though God, when, the Lord, when you believe in the Lord, when you trust the Lord as your, Lord, as your Savior, I'm going to tell you this. The Lord delivers you from the penalty and the power of sin. So none of us in here who have trusted the Lord have to sin. If we sin, it's because we choose to. Because the Lord Jesus Christ broke the power sin had over us. And broke the penalty. He paid for the penalty. But he has not delivered us yet from the presence of sin. But he will when we are glorified, when he comes back. Meantime, we have a choice. Either we sin or we don't. But you say, but I, I have sin in me. Yes, but you also have the new nature through the Holy Spirit. When you trusted in Christ, he has given us his Holy Spirit. And you, though you have both natures inside of you now, the sinful nature and the new godly nature, make sure you feed the new nature and starve the old nature. Okay? Because a lot of Christians continue feeding the old nature and they don't do much about the new nature because they never read the Bible. They never read the Word of God for them. They, sometimes they take the word of God and they point it out. Oh, look at it says, you know, you need to do this. Stop pointing at others. The word of God is not for others. The word of God is for you. For me. Okay. So it says here that it was good for food. Uh, oh no, I, I already said this. This computer moves on its own. The lust of the flesh is immorality. Okay. And then, the lust of the eyes, that's idolatry, covetousness. The Apostle Paul, again in Romans, <clears throat> chapter 7 now, in verse 6, he says, But now we have been delivered from the law, having died to what we were held by, so that we should serve in the newness of spirit and not in the oldness of the letter. It says in verse 5, For when we were in the flesh, the sinful, <coughs> excuse me, sinful passions which were aroused by the law were at work in our members to bear fruit to death. In Exodus 20, 17, we have the Ten Commandments. And one of the, one of the commandments is what? Thou shalt not covet. What does it mean to covet? It means to want what somebody else has. Or want what you don't have. You know, covetousness or greed, and let me tell you, this world runs on greed. You know that, right? Whether it's money, whether it's fame, whether it's power, 
Everybody craves for that. That's a satanic desire. But you know the problem is that that never satisfies. Greed will never satisfy you. Covetousness will never satisfy you. Oh, if I only had that. No, you would not be satisfied. If you had that, you would want something else. In the book of Ezekiel, in chapter uh, 33, and in verse 31, it says, So they come to you as people do, the Lord says to Ezekiel, they sit before you as my people, and they hear your words, but they do not do them. For with their mouth they show much love, but their hearts pursue their own gain. We can fool others, but we cannot fool God. Because He sees what's in our hearts. So make sure that everything you do in life doesn't have a taint of greediness. But you do it out of love, true love. And let me, let me tell you this. Love can wait to give. Lust cannot wait to get. And many people confuse love with lust. Love gives. God so loved the world that he what? Gave. But lust wants. That's why the Lord said in Matthew, in the Sermon on the Mount, He says, And I, tell, I, I say unto you that even if you look at a woman with the intent of having her, that's lust, you have committed adultery in your heart. The law of Moses judges the acts, the actions. The law of Christ judges the motives. So when you do something in life, ask yourself, what is my motive? Why am I doing this? What is the reason? Do you know why I am here? Because I love God. I don't want a position of eminence, of being over other people. I don't, I don't want that. I'm here not because I love the ministry. Some people are too consumed in the ministry. I'm here because I love God. So when I preach and teach the word of God, I do it out of love. Love for him and love for you. What you do with it afterwards is your problem. My responsibility is to teach you the right things. Because I'm going to have to give him an account also. And if you think that I'm going to risk giving him a long list of my sins, you've got something else coming. That's not my intention at all. When I, get, when I go before Christ, I want my list to be as short as possible. I want to be faithful, and I trust you want to be faithful too, to him and to your family. Because even your family is borrowed. One day, your children are going to fly the coop. Now, I know that many times, if your home is a good home, they don't go too far. As a matter of fact, they move in with everybody else. Right? But it's important that we remember those things. In the book of Mark, in the Gospel of Mark, chapter 7, the Lord hits the nail right on the head. And he says, For from within, out of the heart of men, proceed evil thoughts, Adulteries, fornications, murders, thefts, covetousness, 
wickedness, deceit, lewdness, an evil eye, blasphemy, pride, foolishness. All these evil things come from within and defile a man. In other words, we're not contaminated by the things from the outside. We're contaminated from, by what comes in from the inside or comes out from the inside. Okay? The Apostle Paul, in writing to the Ephesians, he says this, But fornication and all uncleanness or covetousness, let it not even be named among you as is fitting for saints. Neither filthiness nor foolish talking, no coarse jesting, which are not fitting, but rather giving of thanks. For this you know, that no fornicator, unclean person, or, nor covetous man who is an idolater has any inheritance in the kingdom of Christ and God. That eliminates all these shady jokes sometimes people say. Oh, it's just a joke. Yeah, really? I read one time one of the commentaries by Dr. Ironside. He was a godly man. And they were somewhere on a Sunday. They were sitting on a porch, resting in between services. Some of the preachers were there. And here comes this, this man, one of the group, and he says, I have a joke now that the ladies are not here. And it's just as men, I have a, a joke to tell you. And he says, if a joke is not clean, don't tell it. Oh, but there are no ladies around. No, but there are gentlemen. Lust of the flesh, immorality. Lust of the eyes, idolatry. Isn't that what this world lives for? Just to have sex and to have things. Bigger boats, bigger cars, bigger homes. You should see some of the homes in Long Island. Houses, I'm sorry, not homes. Houses in Long Island. They have seven bedrooms, four bathrooms. What? Really? Go to one bathroom a day? And there's people that they don't even have any children. And somebody said it very well. Said we have built bigger homes, uh, bigger houses, but smaller homes. If you read the story of the immigrants here into the New York city of New York, especially back in the turn of the century, they were coming from Europe, and they were big families. And they all lived in the east side, the lower east side, they lived in Brooklyn, they lived in some of the sh shabbiest neighborhoods. The Bronx was full of Jewish people. They were big families, and they lived in an apartment. And they were happier. Now, families are smaller, and the apartments are bigger, or they're more expensive. You see some of the prices of the apartments in uh, Manhattan, Midtown, some of those skyscrapers, and, and, they're, and they're not even that, they're cubes. And they pay half a mile from my house. There used to be a golf course. Somebody bought the property and they built condominiums for rent, not for purchase. Beautiful, you know, landscaping, the whole thing, all of them. $7,000 a month in rent. Are people satisfied? No, they're not because they live for the wrong thing. That's why the Apostle Paul says at the end of his life, having therefore raiment and clothing, let us be content. For we brought nothing into this world, and most certainly we shall not 
take anything out of it. That's why he could say, for me to live is Christ, to die is gain. The day he died, he lost nothing. Said he lost his life. No, he didn't. He gained it. He's with Jesus. That's what the world lives for. And the world, every day, is more than happy. So we see here, the third thing is the pride of life. That's why the Apostle Paul says, Now concerning things offered to idols, we know that we all have knowledge. Knowledge puffs up, but love edifies. What does it mean to puff up? It means to become proud. And you see a lot of people going to school and getting this degree and that degree and the ability to make money, da 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 and they walk around and they flaunt it in everybody else's face. I make so much. It's all about that. You take the money or the fame or the power out of them, and they have nothing. I remember back in the 60s, there was an actress by the name of Inger Stevens. She was a beautiful woman, beautiful woman. She was not a sex symbol, but she was a beautiful woman. You know, one of those beauties that are really appealing, beautiful face. She said shortly before her death, I am so lonely, I could scream. Not long after that, she committed suicide. Because fame doesn't satisfy. Money doesn't satisfy. Power doesn't satisfy. Only Jesus satisfies. That's why we're told by wise King Solomon, who wrote so many Proverbs, he said, Pride goes before destruction and the Holy Spirit before the fall. So when you walk around, make sure you walk very close to the ground. You know why? Because if you have to fall, the distance is shorter. and You don't get banged up so badly. In other words, be humble. And don't say you're humble, because the moment you say you're humble, you're no longer humble. The only one who has the right to say, I am meek and lowly of heart, is the Lord Jesus Christ. Was the Apostle Paul a humble man? What do you think? Do you think the Apostle Paul was a humble man? My goodness, he left his position as a Pharisee, one of the leaders of Israel. To be what? Stoned and rejected and spat upon and thrown in jail and beaten up? If that is not humility, he did it for Christ. And then, then what did he say at the end of his life? I thank my God that he sent his son, Jesus Christ, to die for the sin, for sinners, of whom I am chief. The greatest Christian that ever lived was a Jew. And he said that he was the chief of sinners. Where does that leave us? Boy, we still have a long way down to go. Before you say you're humble, say you're holy. Because the Lord says, be ye holy, for I am holy. And what does holy mean? We walk around like, uh, you know, ripped up clothes and, no. Holy means simply set apart, separated. So live a life separated from the world. Things that used to appeal to me years when I was younger, they no longer appeal to me. They're not necessarily sinful, but they do not appeal to me anymore. 
I have a new diet. By the way, physically and spiritually. Okay? Look unto Jesus, the author and perfecter of our faith. He's the only one who satisfies. Now, here we see the reason why it is necessary to have our faculties exercised in the Word of God, our eyes fixed or focused on Him, and our bodies surrendered to Him. We are warned against worldly wisdom and its characteristics. Because look what the Apostle... Open with me to the book of James, chapter 3. Book of James, chapter 3. There is such a thing as godly wisdom, and there is such a thing as worldly wisdom. Look what James says about worldly wisdom. Verse 15. This wisdom does not descend from above, but it is earthly, sensual, demonic. Okay? So stay away from that. But now, we not only have the sins, thank the Lord, He gives us the solution. The first one is the sin of the flesh, right? So what is the solution for the sins of the flesh? The solutions for the sins of the flesh, we find that in 1 Corinthians chapter 9, verse 27. Look what the Apostle Paul says there at the end of chapter 9 of 1 Corinthians. But I discipline my body and bring it into subjection, lest when I have preached to others, I myself should become disqualified. Do you know how many preachers have gotten disqualified because of, of things that they did wrong? They preached the truth, but in their own lives, they stumbled and fell. The Apostle Paul says, I buffet my body. I discipline my body. Why? Because he said in chapter 7 on Romans, I know that in me that is in my flesh dwells no good thing. And that's something we all need to do. We need to learn to say no. Because not everything that your flesh wants is good for you. And we already talked about Galatians, where it says, Walk in the Spirit, and you shall not fulfill the lusts of the flesh. Okay? Again, in the book of uh, Romans, in chapter 8, verse 12. Therefore, brethren, we are debtors, not to the flesh, to live according to the flesh. For if you live according to the flesh, you will die. But if by the Spirit you put to death the deeds of the body, you will <clears throat> live. And that doesn't mean only sexual sins. It means any type of sin. Even anger. Because we're also told to be angry and sin not. In other words, don't let your anger get out of, the, uh, out of, uh, out of hand. And, and you become totally irate. Okay? We need to be careful. Any type of sin. I'm on a diet, and that's my downfall when I have chocolate around me. Somebody comes in the office with some chocolate. It is so hard for me to say no. But you know, slowly but surely, I have learned. And the biggest temptress in my life is my sister. No, I'm only kidding. She's not. She comes to me and she says, you want some uh, chocolate? No. No, I don't want any. Of course, now she reached her goal. So now it's lawful to eat anything. But I haven't reached my goal yet. So I have to say no. If you see her, you will not recognize her. She lost 45 pounds. And I'm on my way. Because I want to be skinny before I get to Israel. Amen? 
The Apostle Paul in Romans chapter 8. I just read that, didn't I? Yeah, I'm losing my mind here. In Romans chapter 13. And in verse 14. He says, but put on the Lord Jesus Christ and make no provision for the flesh to fulfill its lusts. So what is the solution for the flesh? A disciplined life. Learn to say no to things that you know are not going to be good for you. Secondly, what is the solution for the lust of the eyes? Keep your eyes on Jesus, the author and perfecter of our faith. Look unto Jesus, it says in Hebrews 12, 2. Don't look at Pastor Alex. Don't look at Brother Ivan, as handsome as he is, or as dignified with his new British culture, our Brother Alberto Vargas. He came back from the United Kingdom and he thinks he can walk all over us now. <laughs> no, don't look at men. When men admire men means that they still have not met Jesus or they don't know him that well. Because when you know Jesus, you might respect other men and appreciate some of them, but you don't have them as your idols. Okay? <clears throat> and that's why King David in the book of Psalms, the famous Psalm 19, he says, the statutes of the Lord are right, rejoice in the heart. The commandment of the Lord is pure, enlightening the eyes. So instead of using your eyes for lust, use your eyes, enlightened eyes, to learn the truths of God's Word. Amen? See? The Bible is not a whole bunch of don'ts. It's also a whole bunch of do's. As a matter of fact, there's more do's, I think, in the Bible than there's don'ts. Huh? I will lift up mine eyes unto the hills. From whence comes my help? My help comes from the Lord who made heaven and earth. Psalm 121 and verse 1. And the famous Psalm 119, which is the longest uh, uh, portion of Scripture in the Word of God, says, Open my eyes that I may see wondrous things from your law. So instead of watching all these stupid programs they put today on TV, and let me tell you, they become more stupid as time goes by. Okay? Instead of doing that, I have learned to watch less TV, read more books. And I'm reading all the books in my library. I might not finish them, I don't know, unless I live to 105. But it doesn't matter. I am reading. Many books that I had for years and I never touched them. There were too many. But I'm glad I got them. Because now I don't have to go look for them because some of them are even out of print. And I'm always learning. And I'm better. Less temptations. The Lord Jesus Christ said this in the book of Matthew. Chapter 13 and verse 16. But blessed are your eyes, for they see, and your ears, for they hear. What are you hearing this morning? What are you hearing? The Word of God. I thought you were not hearing anything because nobody was saying anything. Everybody's looking at me mesmerized. I said to you, look unto Jesus, not unto me. <laughs> but you're hearing the word of God. You know what you are? Blessed. You're blessed because you're hearing the word of God.
And then what's the solution for the pride of life? Well, you know what? The solution for the pride of life is humility. If my people who are called by my name shall humble themselves and pray and seek my face, then I will hear from heaven and I will heal their sins and, and I will forgive their sins and I will heal their land. Boy, our land needs healing, doesn't it? Humility requires prayer. Or prayer, I should say, requires humility. For when you pray, you bow down. That's why I don't care for people who pray like... There's no humility in that. When you pray, you bow down. And if you cannot kneel, that's okay where you're sitting. Bow down. Close your eyes and say, Lord, you know, I bow down before you. That's humility. Not the posture of your body. But many times the posture of your body tells what's inside your heart. King David, in Psalm 34, he says, My soul shall make its boast in the Lord. Sounds like the Apostle Paul, doesn't it? Far be it from me to boast or to brag, save in the cross of Christ. We have nothing to brag about in ourselves. It is, we, can, we can boast in the Lord, though, and elevate him and magnify him and glorify him. The humble shall hear of it and be glad. The fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. You want to be wise in life? Fear God. Not man, God. And know that every word that comes out of your mouth Every idle word that comes out of your mouth and mine, we're going to give an account of that in the day of judgment. So make sure your words are few and they're wise. And they're biblical. We read before, right? Pride goes before destruction and the Holy Spirit before the fall. In the, in the book of Proverbs, uh, chapter uh, 16. Better to be of a humble spirit with the lowly than to divide the spoil with the proud. Proverbs 16, 19. Before destruction, the heart of a man is haughty, and before honor is humility. You want to have honor in your life? Be humble. How are you humble? Bow down and obey. We sang it, the last hymn we sang. Trust and obey. Wives, obey your husbands as unto the Lord. Because if you don't obey your husband, you don't obey the Lord. Now, I know your husbands are not perfect. They leave a lot to be desired. I know. But it's an attitude of heart. Try to make them better. Even if you have to take a two by four. What's the matter? Inconveniente. And you husbands love the Lord. Men love the Lord. You sons and daughters obey your parents. But let me tell you, you parents do not provoke your children. Don't, don't irritate them. Sometimes parents think they have, they have all the rights in the world. And my children, I can do whatever I want. No, you don't. They're borrowed. They're not your property. They're the Lord's. Amen? Remember that. So what is the solution for the pride of life? Humility. Humility. I love this verse in the book of Isaiah. 
So many times I have thought about this verse here. Isaiah says, For thus says the high and lofty one, the Lord, right? Who inhabits eternity, whose name is holy. I dwell in the high and holy place with him who has a contrite and humble spirit to revive the spirit of the humble and to revive the heart of the contrite ones. We need to learn humility and we need to ask the Lord to give it to us. And once we have it, we'll know and we're not going to be going around telling everybody how humble we are. Likewise, you younger people, you boys and girls, submit yourselves to your elders. You hear that? Submit yourselves to your elders. That's such a bad word, submit, isn't it? Yes, all of you be submissive to one another and be clothed with humility, for God resists the proud, but he, he gives grace to the humble. Therefore, humble yourselves unto the, under the mighty hand of God, that he may exalt you in due time, casting all your care upon him, for he cares for you. Now, here's the reason why we have many instructions about these areas, so that our lives may be pleasing before him whose eyes behold or beheld our first parents. He, be, he beheld their fall. He saw their fall. He does not want a mere profession only. He wants perfection, maturity. So let us beside know that the order used here is the same order that Satan used to tempt the Lord Jesus Christ in the wilderness. And I have no time to go into that today. But we're going to see, Lord willing, next week that that same order the same tactic that he used on Eve, he used on the Lord Jesus Christ. But the only difference is that Jesus conquered. And again, let us follow his example. Amen? So it's not only to talk about the problem, it's also to give a solution. Let us pray. Our we thank you for listening to this message and pray that the Word of God spoke to your heart. To listen to previous sermons, please visit us at www.cbttbc.com or anchor.fm forward slash cbt hyphen sermons.